chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, as we continue reading through and looking at Jesus' journey down to Jerusalem, or rather up to Jerusalem, as He is on a mission. And I was thinking about this because in verse 10, it talks about really what the mission of Jesus is, what it was, why He came. And uh, have you ever been on a mission? Have you ever done something? You set plans out to, to do something, whether it be large or whether it be a small task, and you failed at that. You didn't complete the mission. That happened to me this week, and I'm sure it happens to me every week, but uh, this week uh, we had 17 people in our house uh, coming to visit. It's that time of year, right, when people go and visit their family, and we had 17 people, and it was a lot of fun, um, and so I had to escape sometimes to get a little bit of work done, and uh, my wife called, and she said, hey, uh, you need to bring home some ice, Small task, right? Easy task. Easy mission. Get ice. I mean, just two words. Get ice. Oh, absolutely no problem. So I go home. We're getting ready. All these people getting all the food ready and everything. And she's like, where's the ice? I said, man, I missed that. I missed it. How could I forget? I only had one job, right? I had one job to do, and I missed it. Well, what you see here is this mission of Jesus, and Jesus never misses His mission. Jesus never misses what He came to do. Jesus, it says, He came, in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you get that? There are two things there. He came to seek and to save. Jesus doesn't seek people without saving people. He doesn't only do half of the job. He does the whole job. And so that is really what this account of Zacchaeus is all about. The theme this morning, if you're looking on your bulletin and you're taking notes, is the mission of Jesus Christ was to seek and save the lost. Exactly what verse 10 says. Now, we begin with this very common story. This account, it's a true account, of what occurs. Now, Jesus, you will remember, is going through Jericho. And as He is going through Jericho, He meets a blind man named Bartimaeus. We looked at that last week, and Bartimaeus cried out to Him, and God saved him. The Lord Jesus saved him and restored him. And so what Luke is doing here is he is showing forth some very important things that Jesus is doing on the way to Jerusalem, where he is going to make payment for his people. The first thing that we see here is Zacchaeus prepares to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, in verses 1-4, through is preparing to see Jesus. Notice that it says, He, this is Jesus, enters Jericho and was passing through. 
So as he's passing through Jericho, we talked about that last week a little bit. There was the Old Testament Jericho and there's the New Testament Jericho located about a mile and a half away. And this Jericho is different than the Old Testament Jericho that you see in Joshua. And so this Jericho was a beautiful place. It had wonderful climate, primarily due to aqueducts that were built by Herod the Great. Herod the Great had given them great access to water, and therefore, because of this, they were able to grow and produce all types of tropical fruit and tropical trees and all of these things. Herod had obtained this city from Caesar Augustus and had transformed it into a paradise. As a matter of fact, Edersheim, who is a scholar, notes that Josephus described it, or Jericho, as the richest part of the country. And he even called it a little paradise. He explains that Antony had bestowed the revenue, revenues of its balsam plantations as an imperial gift upon Cleopatra, who in turn sold them to Herod. And here he grew palm trees of various kinds, sycamores, the cypress flower, myro balsamum, which produces the oil, but especially the balsam plant. Herod had transformed this into a tropical paradise. He built a large palace in this area for himself, in in which he had lots of pools, and actually excavations have revealed these pools. Now, one thing to note, he didn't always go swimming in these pools. Uh, He actually had one of his sons drowned in one of these pools. Very nice guy. But nevertheless, he built this huge palace, uh, a winter palace for himself. He also had a fortress built, and he even had a hippodrome built. Jericho truly was a place of paradise. And so there there was a lot of activity. It would have been a typical stop-off as you're coming, especially from the north, going up to Jerusalem, you would want to stop and stay in Jericho. Jericho was a, a great place that had a lot of things going on. A lot of money was being made in Jericho. It was a great place to travel to. Now we see that Jesus is entering and passing through. And behold, the text says, He wants us to, to pull our, uh, our, our pause for a minute and see that there is this man that we're going to focus on. And again, Luke gives us the name of this man. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a very interesting name. And it actually means clean or innocent. Now, the fact is, Zacchaeus was not a clean or innocent man. But you're going to see that this is indeed what happens. Uh, His name is actually given. Perhaps Luke gives us this name, not so that we can just uh, make up a fun little kid's song from Sunday school, which I am not going to sing because I've had that song in my head all week long. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But we're not going to sing that. And so he, he's, he has this name. 
He has this name, and it was noted that tradition tells us that Peter actually appointed him as bishop of Caesarea later on. Now, it also says that he did this against his will, which I don't really know that Peter would have done that, because Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that you should be an elder, not based on compulsion. So I don't know that Peter writing that would have then turned around and compelled him to do this against his will. But nevertheless, that is what tradition tells us. He probably was very well known in the early church, certainly for what had happened. So there was this man named Zacchaeus. He would have been very well known, notorious even, in this town. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. The word Chief tax collector is an unusual word. It's only used one time in the New Testament, and it's used right here. So even outside of the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of literature that explains exactly what a chief tax collector did. But nevertheless, there were three main collection sites in this area, in Israel, really, where taxes were collected. Capernaum, Jericho, and Jerusalem. So if you had one of those three hubs, if you were the head of one of those three tax hotspots, guess what you were? Rich. If you ran the racket, if you were the kingpin, so to speak, uh, in that area running the taxes, you were a wealthy man. Now Zacchaeus was a Jewish man based upon his name. And so the Romans didn't pay taxes. It was the Jews that paid the taxes. And so here, what do you have? You have a Jewish man who is working for the Romans who is taxing the Jews. Do you think the Jews liked him? They didn't. They didn't like paying taxes any more than you like paying taxes. And so here was a man who was seen as a traitor and a thief and all of these things. And here he was a wealthy man. Living in Jericho, this was prime taxation real estate. The road traveling from east to west going across the Jordan there, it would be an excellent place to collect the the taxes and the tolls. And so Zacchaeus was the man who most likely organized all these men under him. There were regular tax collectors who would go out, they would collect the taxes, then they would skim the money off the top, and then he would skim the money off of all of them. So he was indeed a rich man. Now one of the things that this passage actually shows us is it culminates in a whole host of themes that you're going to see that Luke is writing. Luke speaks a lot about rich people, doesn't he? He does. He speaks a lot about rich people. And so we're going to see this actually play out. I'm going to make the point a little bit clearer next time, but do you recall not too long ago Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler back in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, the the disciples are trying to figure out, well then, who in the world can be saved? If, If a rich man can be saved, 
can't be saved uh, based because of the, their love of money, then who can be saved? Uh, and Jesus says, well, you know, it's easier for the, the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to be saved. Who can do this? And he says, with God, all things are possible. And that man, that rich man, you recall, the rich young ruler, he goes away sad because he had many possessions. Well, what Jesus is going to show you here is the camel's about to go through the eye of a needle. God is about to do a miracle. And so we'll look about, at that aspect a little bit next week. But here we see this wonderful thing. Not only is there this contrast in the, with the rich man of the past, but we also see a connection to the blindness. Jesus speaks many times about the blindness. He just spoke of a blind man in Jericho. And he physically couldn't see. Like, he could not see with his eyes. This man can't see either. But it's not that he can't see because of his eyes. He can't see because he's short. He can't see Jesus. So he's still physically inhibited. And he is spiritually inhibited as well. Now what we see, Luke alone mentions this account with Zacchaeus. And so it is in connection with the blind man and also with the blind disciples. Notice what happens in verse 3 here. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was rich. And it says in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now why was this? Why was he seeking? You see, the disciples couldn't fully see all that God was doing even when Jesus said that He would be raised on the third day. Blind Bartimaeus could physically see, could not physically see, so he yells out to see Jesus. And this man can't see Jesus either because he was short. Now, we've all been short at one time or another growing up, right? There are times you, you, know, you can't reach the counter, but then you grow and you can reach the counter. We, we all understand that to some sort of degree. I, I, there have been plenty of times I've been in the store and someone will come up to me and say, excuse me, do you work here? You know, if you're like wearing a red shirt in Target or something. And you're like, no, I don't work here. Um, you never wear a red shirt to Target. Uh, but, you know, people will ask you, you know, excuse me, could you reach that on the top shelf for me? Can you grab that for me? Sure, no problem. Always happy to help someone. But do you see there are people that, that needed that help? And that's the, the situation that Zacchaeus was in. Maybe he was well known because of this as well. We don't know. But we have to stop before we get into really truly seeing what he was looking for. We have to understand why. It appears that Zacchaeus on his own is seeking Jesus, but that's not fully the case. In light of verse 10, who is the one that seeks? Jesus is the one who seeks. Jesus is the one who seeks and saves the lost. And so there is, a, there is something that is going on behind the scenes. And so to gain a proper 
perspective, we have to get this understanding. Romans 3, 10 through 11 tells us, it is written, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. By the way, this is quoted two other times in the Old Testament. Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and Psalm 53, 1 through 3. So what do you have going on here? You have Zacchaeus who is seeking God because Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. Jesus is the one who is doing the seeking. Jesus is the one who is going to do the calling. And you're going to see the transformation that comes about. You see, Jesus is the seeker. Remember, this is a theme that you see in Luke. Luke 15, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. It is God who is the seeker. The the person goes after searching for the coin. The shepherd goes searching for the sheep. The, the the, The father goes running after his son. He doesn't ever seek without saving. You see, there are those who were seeking Jesus at a time, but it was only because of what they got from Jesus. So there are people that seek after Jesus, but it's not because they're seeking the true reality of who Jesus is. It's that they just want something from Jesus. This is true if you just look in John chapter 6. I would encourage you to turn to John 6. Turn over there and you'll see the, the background of this passage is that all of these people were following Jesus. Jesus had huge crowds. Huge crowds. And they were following Jesus because of the popularity of what He was doing. But there were many who didn't truly want Jesus for what and who He truly actually was. You see, Jesus fed 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and a couple fish. And He he just feeds all of them. He meets their needs so much that they, they had a free meal. And it wasn't just a free meal, it was a free feast. And so the disciples get in the boat and they travel across. And Jesus then, you will recall, walks across the water, gets in the boat with them. They didn't see Jesus leave. And so then they start following the crowd. The crowd follows Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? Because He just fed them. They just fed them. Hey, free food, free stuff. That's how people uh, get crowds, right? Free stuff. You know? If, if we were auctioning off a, a new Corvette, not auctioning, but just raffle, free raffle, a, a new Corvette, there'd be a lot of people that would come. Or a new boat. Boy, there'd be a lot of people. Why? Not because they care about Jesus, because they want a boat. And so here, these people are following Jesus. They're seeking Him, but Jesus calls them out for this. Jesus says in John 6, 25-28, it says, When they found Him on the other side of the sea, remember that He had just fed them, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did You come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. 
You're feeling because I filled your physical stomach. That's all you cared about. You didn't truly want me. You wanted my stuff. You wanted what I was giving you. And so then Jesus tells them in verse 29 that if they truly are seeking, that this would be the result of the work of God. Look at what verse 29 says. Well, look at what Jesus says here. He says, this is the work of God that you believe. So, it says, this is the work of God that you believe. Why are you believing? Is it your work? It's, it's God's work that you are believing. He said, and that you believe in Him in whom He has sent. So there is, there is this fake, spurious faith that seeks after Jesus because they want stuff. And then there is true because He is saying, I truly am the bread of life. See, you just want food that's going to keep you alive for a little while. I'm giving you food, me that's come down from heaven, that is going to last forever. And that is far more important. See, those true seekers are those given by God and they are filled. Look, jump down to verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verse 37, and all that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus completing His mission. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, they need the Father's drawing. Drop down to verse 41. It says, so the Jews grumbled about Him. We're going to get to that. I don't know if we're going to end up getting to it today. But we are going to get to that. Jesus is doing ministry and the people grumble at Him. Think about that. That that Jesus, who is the perfect minister, who is the God of heaven, and the people complained about Him. There's There's a lot of lessons to be learned in that. But the Jews grumbled about Him, about Jesus, because He said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. So they they were mad that he said the truth. And so they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now you may stop right there and say, Well, that's easy. God draws everybody. God draws everybody to Himself. But look at what Jesus also says. And I will raise Him up on the last day. You see, He says, I will draw Him and I will raise Him up. So don't, don't just take the first part. You've got to take the whole thing. He says, I'm going to draw Him and I'm going to raise Him up on the last day. In other words, He is going to be raised up to eternal life. So that's why when we jump back to this, when it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save, those whom He seeks, He saves. It's not just Jesus is out there just trying to seek people. He's not out there just begging and, 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 and hoping that something works. He's out there seeking and saving. 
By the way, it's interesting to note once again at the end of chapter 6, verse 41 to 48, that they grumbled yet again. So if you're compelled to come to truly seek God, it is not your own doing. It is the sovereign grace of God. Look at what verse 4 says back in Luke chapter 19. So we kind of have a little bit of the background of what's going on in light of verse 10. It says, so this, this man, it says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but because of the crowd, he couldn't. He was, he was in the back. He was in the back of the, 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 the crowd. He couldn't get through to the front line. And uh, so he had to... Put, he had to go and, and get higher. Well, you know how it is when kids can't see. There's a parade or, or something like that. You know, you go to Disney World and they have the fireworks and everybody comes in and then they're showing the fireworks. But the little kids can't see. So what do you have? You have millions of dads and moms in the front all packed down in the sweltering heat. And then what do you have? You have these sweaty kids on your shoulders. It's a great way to cool off. Right? But you're, you're doing it because you want the kids to be able to see. You want them to be able to see all the, the cool stuff that is going on. Well, Zacchaeus doesn't have the, his dad there to say, Hey, Dad, can I climb up on your shoulders? Right? He doesn't have that. So, so he, he says, I, I, I have this barrier, but, but I, I'm compelled. That's a key word. I'm compelled to see who Jesus is. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet. He's heard about Jesus. And so he says that in verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. You see, he overcomes the obstacles. The last man who was rich allowed his obstacles to swallow him up. His riches. But he is not going to allow his obstacles, his shortness, his blindness, not being able to see, to overcome. He is going to overcome. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree. A sycamore tree isn't like a mulberry bush. It's not like a bush. It's kind of more in the, the flavor of a, of a shorter oak tree where you can go and you can climb out onto the long branch, a smaller trunk there, climb up, easy to climb. So he climbs up this thing. And so he climbs out. And he does this. Now, here's one thing you got to stop and think about. This was a rich man. This is not a kid. This is not a child. This is a rich, wealthy, chief tax collector. Very dignified. A dignified man climbing trees. Do you think that that might have stuck out do you think that Zacchaeus had a deep desire to see this? Just like the man in the story in Luke 15 who ran after his son. He was a wealthy man, but he took off running for his son. You know, there kind of becomes a point when you hit an age, right? When you just kind of stop running, right? I mean, think about when was the last time you ran? Okay, I know some of you are runners. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about normal people. Okay? And you're just like, you're like, man, I, I don't even know when was the last time I ran? Like, you know, I hit a bee's nest and I ran then, you know. You might play with your grandkid for a second and you run for, you know, like 
you know, to the mailbox and then you're, you're finished. But like, there just kind of comes this time you stop running. It's just, there's no need for it. You know, you're playing Frisbee and the, I, I do that now. I go out there and I play football. I'm, I'm throwing the, the ball and the ball goes over there and I'm like, yep, it's going to land. And I'm going to walk over there. I'm not running and diving for that. Are you crazy? You know, so the, the, the point here is that there's a time when you stop doing that. This man ran after his son, totally undignified, but there was something greater. There was something more important. And with Zacchaeus, there was something far more important than what people around him were thinking. And so he decides that he is going to run after hit Jesus he is going to take it he's going to climb up in this tree it's urgent Jesus is about to pass by and here was his opportunity here was his chance to seek Jesus and so by point one we see this very important thing that we need to know that God rewards seeking him Yes, I know that I already, that we said that God is the one who gives you faith. He's the one who is drawing you. Yes, but He rewards us. He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, and that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So we always must have faith. We always must continue that. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Many people go seeking for all kinds of other things. Even Christians go seeking for other things rather than seeking God. They seek to get their situation fixed. They seek to, to have someone tell them what they want to hear. They, they seek a book. They seek a feeling. They seek all kinds of things instead of seeking God. Psalm 105. There are plenty of verses in the Scriptures that um, bring up seeking God. You could just Google it. But Psalm 105 verse 4 says, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Seek the presence of God continually. When you are with God, when you are in His presence, and you are seeking Him and His strength, what else do you need? And so we, we must be those who seek God. Whether you don't know Christ, there is the, the compelling, there's the call to seek Him. And those who know Christ, we continue to seek Him. And so we see now that Jesus, though, seeks Zacchaeus. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house. Now, Jesus is coming and there's a large crowd. He comes to the place. Just stop for a minute and read. That's how the ESV translates it. And when Jesus came to the place. Now, earlier in verse 1, it says he was traveling through Jericho. But here it says Jesus came to the place. That, that indicates what? A specific spot, right? 
He, he, he's coming to a special place. When Jesus came to this place, this place that He was planning on coming to, it, it's, it's not by accident, he, he came here. And He looks up to Him. He looks up to, Jesus, to Zacchaeus. And He said to him, Zacchaeus, now that's the first thing that you should stop and think, wait a minute, how does Jesus know His name? How does Jesus know this man's name? How, how, how does He know who He is? Well, first of all, he's, He is God, so He knows. Okay, This is reminiscent of how He saw Nathaniel, while he was praying under the fig tree in John chapter 1, we know that, that when Jesus saw Nathaniel, that it was amazing. Nathaniel at first was a doubter. He's like, oh, what good, can, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Right? And so then Jesus sees him and he, and he calls him and he refers to him as an Israelite in whose, uh, in whose mouth there's no guile. And he says, to him, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It was amazing to him. He knew, he knew that Jesus knew him. And so the same way here, Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. Jesus, though they hadn't met in person, so to speak, he knew him. You see, when God calls people, he calls them by name. This is the same thing as God knowing people. Jeremiah 1.5 speaks of this. Jeremiah the prophet who would live a very difficult life, have a very difficult ministry, but yet God calls to him and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You see, God knew Jeremiah. There was this relationship before the foundation of even the world. God knew him. God knew Zacchaeus. God knew Nathaniel. And if you are God's child, God knew you. He knows your name. If He's known you that long, so to speak, do you not think that He cares? Here we have Jesus calling Zacchaeus. He gives him a command. He tells him to come down, and then he explains how. The verb is to come down, and he explains how quickly. He doesn't say, come down sometime and we'll meet up. He says, come down quickly, right now. Now notice this interesting word. He says, I, for I must... For I must. You might underline that in your Bible. That, that actually is just one word in Greek. It's a, it's a Greek word, day. Okay? It's, it, is, it is necessary is the proper way of translating it. Sometimes it's translated as the word must because there's a necessity. And so Luke uses this phrase at least 11 other times. This really being the 12th. That shows that Jesus must do something. He talks about it in Luke 4, I think, where he says that he must preach the gospel. Here, he's in Luke 9.22, the same word is used when it says the Son of Man must. There it is. Day. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. These 
are the divine necessities the, that are given. That, that Luke is saying he had to do this. This was part of his mission. So think about that. This is no fluke. This is no happenstance. This is no, what kind of crazy guy is that? Hey, come on down. I want, I want to talk to you. This is a divine appointment that Jesus has with this man. It was a calculated and planned stop by Jesus. You see, to call, the call of Zacchaeus was a special call to God, to Him for salvation. It was a real working out of the parable that we saw in Luke chapter 14. You recall that? Jesus teaches and He gives parables. But this is a, the, the parable you could almost say is, is the bones. This is some of the, the meat on the bones here. This is it, giving it out in real life. You know, This is kind of like when you hear somebody say, um, read in the Scripture, it says, love your enemies. Okay? And then your neighbor turns into your enemy and then you actually have to love them. Okay? That, that's putting meat on the bones. right? It's easy to sit in the air-conditioned room and hear, oh, love your enemies. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, I didn't know you meant him. Okay? So th- this is putting some meat on the, the, the parable. And so the parable, you will recall back in Luke chapter 14, especially in verses 16 through 24, is that there is a great banquet. There's this great banquet. There's this feast. There's this celebration that is going on. And, and God gives a general call. He says, go out, my people. Go out and and." call people to come to the banquet and nobody comes the people don't come they don't they don't come to the banquet i mean it's it's free they don't have to do anything they just have to come but you know what you hear you hear excuses if you recall the the one guy couldn't come because he said well i just i just bought this field and and i I gotta go check out the field you know i've got to measure it i gotta survey it i got i gotta check out this field i got stuff to do and the other guy says well i I just got some oxen and you know i gotta test drive them for a while and make sure everything's going well and so i can't come and another one says well you know i just got married (laughs) you know that might be legit right you know i just got married I, i don't have time for that and so he comes back and the master's angry. Says, well, if they're not going to come when I give a general call, then we're going we're gonna to fill this place up because my mission is not going to go empty and unfinished. So he calls and gives the irresistible call. He goes and he says, go and compel the people to come in. He calls the poor, the crippled, and the blind then they go and they compel the people to come that my house might be full might be full and so here what you have is Jesus compelling they're not kicking and screaming do you see do you see Zacchaeus kicking and screaming here he's not saying no i don't want to no no fine i'll go ahead and believe in Jesus that's not what you see at all You see the divine work of God when God is coming and calling Zacchaeus to Himself. But it's very interesting, isn't it? Who Jesus gets. 
Here he's walking into a town of Jericho. And there are lots of people. You have to remember, first of all, the text says that. That there's a large crowd, right? There's a big crowd. And remember, they're all going to Passover as well. They're all on their way to Jerusalem. And there were lots of people there. Why does he pick Zacchaeus? Well, you know, when you look at Zacchaeus, what do you see? You don't see a a really respected man, do you? You don't see a man that was popular. You don't see a man that people really liked. You don't see a man who had everything together so that he was really well connected socially. What you have is you have a man who is despised. A man who, it was said, would be hard to enter the kingdom. And Jesus, like I said, is about to put that camel through the eye of a needle. He is about to do a miracle and to show His power to the disciples and to everyone else exactly who He is. And so Jesus truly is calling the lowly, isn't He? That's point number two. Remember, Jesus calls the lowly. Jesus calls the lowly. That's one of the things you always see in Luke. You see Jesus calling the poor and the lame and the crippled. But you look at the other end of the spectrum. It's not like the other end of the spectrum is much better. You know that. I, I don't, it it kind of goes against our nature, but you do know that people that have lots of money, their lives really are not filled. The, the, the poor people think that's what's going to fill them, and the people that actually have it, they find it empty. And so what you have it really is an equal playing field, that they all have their great need, and they need to find their hope in God. They need to find their satisfaction in Christ. And so we need to remember that Jesus is the one who calls the lowly, He's the one who goes through. And though Zacchaeus is rich, he is despised and God calls him. What's interesting though, is that God is going to call him, but He's not going to leave him where he is. You see, God calls the lowly, but He doesn't leave us where we are. He changes us. He changes us so that we are not who we used to be. No longer are we blind, but now we see. No longer are we lonely. We have Christ. No longer are we unfulfilled. We have great fulfillment because of who Jesus is. Jesus gives us everything. Those who seek the Lord, the psalmist says, will lack no good thing. He says he's seen the lions go hungry. But those who seek the Lord, they will never be unfulfilled. Because Christ is the greatest treasure of all. And so he says that he calls this lowly man. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, looking down in verse 26 to 31. You see this great passage which which teaches this which shows this this is one of those things it continues jesus doesn't stop 
calling the lowly, the poor, the outcast. He doesn't stop doing it. And he doesn't stop changing them. Paul writing to the Corinthians. What a great group of people that have everything together. I mean, you think you, think you have problems. These people, wow. They really have. But, but that's okay. It's okay because God is working on them. But one of the first things he tells them in his first letter that he writes to them is this. He says, you need to consider your calling in verse 26, brothers. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful not many were of noble birth. When you, when you read through the, the book of Acts and you see all the people that Paul stood before, the kings and the rulers, and he preached and proclaimed the gospel to them. And some of them were like, you're, you're trying to persuade me, but you see, I'm the king. Not many people are willing to give that up. But it says in verse 27, But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And if you're a Christian, that's you. That's me. And that's humbling. God chose the foolish. Oh, He chose me. Oh, He chose the foolish. Yeah, that's me. He chose the foolish. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring things that are. Why did He do this? Why did God do that? Why did God choose Zacchaeus? Why did Jesus seek out Zacchaeus? He sought him out, and He sought you out if you're a follower of Christ. He says in verse 29, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us. Here's what Jesus is to us. Now we are wise. Now we are righteous. Now we are sanctified. Now we are redeemed. Christ is all of those things to us. He, when we, we talk about our redemption, when we talk about our sanctification, when we talk about our righteousness, we talk about how we are wise. We don't boast in our wisdom now. We say our wisdom comes because of Christ. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in what? Boast in the Lord. Boasting is a good thing. Go ahead, boast. Boast all you want, but you boast in the Lord. Boast in Him. Lift Him up. and Show Him and give Him the glory. Well, we're not going to make it down to point three. I don't want to shortcut it. And we're going to continue looking at this next week. But we truly need to see here the grace of God in the life of Zacchaeus. Out of the large crowd, Jesus goes to him specifically, calls him to himself. Have you experienced that grace of God? How does that make you feel? How do you think about it? If he has and you've received him, are you marked with joy like Zacchaeus had? Is there humility about you in recognizing that it is the grace of God that he would choose you? So we need to walk in that humility, not in grumbling, but with a thankful heart. Or is God calling you to Himself? 
Receive Him with joy and give Him glory for all that He has done for you is of grace. Call out to Christ for salvation. Trust in Him alone. For the great promise is that all who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we read this text and we see that we are Zacchaeus. We don't have the ability to truly see You for who You are. We thank You, Lord, for that appointed time when You went, You saw Zacchaeus and You called him down. And You affirmed, Lord, later that salvation truly has come to His house. Lord, I pray that You will give us humility. I pray, Lord, that You will give us a desire to seek You. Lord, You are the great healer. You are the great King. You are the great satisfaction, Lord, in our lives. Lord, I pray that You will be honored and glorified. If there's one here, Lord, today, and You are calling to them, I pray that they would take the opportunity and trust in Christ. Embrace Him fully by faith with joy. Lord, I pray that You will help us to not be people like we saw in, even in this story who grumbled against Jesus for doing this, who were critical. Help us, Lord, rather to be humble and thankful people. And Lord, that we would go forth and we would tell people. We would share the, the good news, knowing that people may not listen, but Lord, our dependence is not on our wisdom, is not on our calculations, but our confidence is in the Spirit of God awakening their heart to see the true, beautiful Christ. Now, Lord, help us to be obedient and to love You, Lord, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.